You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi. Hello. This is Tanya Pinkins, and you are listening to You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. Um, normally I just talk to my friends and my colleagues. So I know something about them. They've told me stories that they might've forgotten telling me and I'm going to, you know, coax them out of them on this. But today I'm doing something a little different. I'm speaking to a total stranger. I just met him when he walked through the door a few minutes ago. Um, I reached out to him because I read something he wrote on um, HowlRound, and the title of it intrigued me. It was called Woke Supremacy, and I was like, well, who's writing this? And then when I found it, it was a white male homosexual man working in the arts. I was like, well, let me read this. Let me see if this is for real. (laughs) So I'm going to read a little quote from it. He says, um, woke supremacy is not, woke is not a destination, nor is it a virtue. It means awake. Yet this word has become the single greatest obstacle to staying awake to racism. White people must be careful about how proudly we wear this badge. In fact, it might be time to hang it back on the shelf. It's provocative. Join me in welcoming Donnie Repshar. Hi, hello. Hi, Donnie. Thank you for having me. Now, Tanya, is it? It is Tanya. (laughs) Is it, is this, was this a thesis? Yeah. For what? Um, So I just graduated from uh, 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 the New School's Nonprofit Management Graduate Program. Okay. Um, And I was asked, so the culminating uh, assessment is to to write a capstone that is, is really a research project of your choosing. Okay. And um, all it really has to be is a paper of publishable quality. And so um, I, uh, I have been thinking, honestly, for the past two years about what this is going to be for me. And, and how did you come to this? Yeah. Um, over the course of the summer, I had been, um, I, I mean, it's been two years since I've really um, read for pleasure or read sort of outside of my uh, uh, requirements uh, for graduate school. Um, and and so I had, I had been collecting uh, a, um, a, a stack of books that I wanted to read for me um, once graduate school was over. And, and I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Dallas, Texas. Texas? Yes, ma'am. Okay, you're a southerner. <laughs> yeah, okay, huh? what well, does that mean? What's your um um which side of the divide would you be on? Are you a 
conservative Texan, a liberal Texan? I, um, I'm i an ex-Texan. <laughs> an ex-Texan. You're a recovering Texan. A recovering Texan. No, a that's re- not true. I, I, need to, I need to change that. Um, I need to fix that. Uh, I need to fix my face about Texas a little bit. Um, my, my husband's family lives in Houston, and okay. my family lives in Dallas. Okay. And so we're there frequently. And, okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I think part of my my adulthood needs to be uh, reincorporating the love of Texas that I once had back into my life. But it's got you just said you had a husband. That doesn't sound like a Texan that's what value. I'm saying. That's so. what you know. It's taken me some time. <laughs> okay, so okay, so I, I needed to know a little background of why yeah. you're thinking about wokeness. What brought you to think about wokeness? Yeah. Um, well, I've you, you is know, your husband black? No, ma'am. Okay. Um, uh, suddenly, we, we we summon Texas and all uh, these mams start popping out. That's okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm okay to be a man. Okay, I'm old that. enough to be a man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, as you know, that I mean, I am I am fully engaged um, in sort of the the Twitter conversations and uh, the cultural conversations about um, uh, uh, demanding uh, um, justice and equality, um, specifically within our arts institutions. And I have had the great fortune of working for two uh, arts institutions in the city. Um, over the signature. past five years, uh, Signature Theater is where I began a development career, and then I've spent the last two years at New York City Center. Okay. Um, and Are we going to get you fired with this conversation? <laughs> that, we'll see. <laughs> uh, time will tell. I'm taking one step at a time today. Um, no, no, I don't think so. Um, because, uh, yeah, so I've, I've, I, I am very aware of the conversation that's happening on Twitter, um, and just in the, the sort of. But um, Twitter's not reality. Like people can say anything they want to say on Twitter. It doesn't actually move into the real world and make any difference. You're right, but that it's, um, it is giving people a platform. I think people are using it to speak out um, when, when they see uh, racism. Uh, exemplified in our institutions. I think because our institutions are taking to uh, social media as a business decision as to, in a way to sell their tickets, Uh um, I think they are engaging with what it means to be in that space. And I think recently we've seen a lot of people take them to task because they are um, members of this uh, online community. And, And it's interesting to watch because the, these institutions are then sort of having to figure out, oh, well, we we are going to post about our shows and we're going to post, we, we're going to like retweet um, when people like our shows, um, but we don't yet know what to do when people have issues. Um, for instance, you know, when people experience racism at the box office or with mm. the front of house staff, you know, people really take them to task in this way, um, in this space. And our institutions don't know what to do. And it's interesting to see that from the inside. Um, so what do you see? What do they do with it that you see? Well, I think the the issue bifurcates as soon as someone call, takes an institution to task. I think you have um, you have a PR uh, problem to manage, and then you also have a systemic um, race, racist issue to manage. And those two things are separate. I think you know. For instance, um, do you remember when Starbucks shut down all of its locations for half a day? I know that was so day? silly. It, right, but they had a it, they had a public relations um, issue to manage, and they did, and it was it was a provocative one. Um, but but when you think about it, like the, the Starbucks didn't solve racism that day when they took all of their employees for sensitivity training. No. But but what they did was they quieted the the sort of cultural con- the the cultural demand to t- towards action. 
And so that's what I mean about this. But I liked the idea when Starbucks was going to put the questions on the cup and then people could have the conversation and then people shut them down for that. Mm. I mean, I think that what we can learn from our current president is there's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm. You can, you know, profit off of people saying bad things about you. It's true. You can but capture instance, a news cycle from I've, saying something wrong. Yeah, that's true. And But, but for instance, um, there is... Um, an arts journalist named Jose Solis, who mm -hmm. was very, uh, who very publicly um, spoke out about a, a particular instance, uh, a situation that he had at the box office. You got to tell us specifically what it was. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't read it. I yeah. don't know. Tell yeah. us what happened to Jose. So he, he, um, he arrived at the theater. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm. <laughs> relax, Donnie, relax. No, no, this is just how I speak. Oh, okay. I'm very, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my husband's like, uh, do you need a drink? The answer is usually yes. Um, we got a lot of alcohol over there. Oh, is that true? Is it, I gotta go back to <laughs> we work. We do like that. We'll get me fired. <laughs> I think we found it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, anyway, he, um, he, ex he experienced that the, the front of house staff or the box office staff were treating him differently than they were treating other members of the press. Um, he had a particular request that there was someone coming to use his second ticket. Um, he didn't know the name of this person, um, and they they would not um, take care of his request to enter the theater and leave this ticket for this person, but they were much more accommodating to um, other um the press people who were entering who were white. Okay. And he um, he he talked about it on Twitter, and um, it took a long time for Second Stage to respond at all. This happened at Second Stage. Right, but that um, could have just been a stupid box office person. You're right, but but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but, but I think you have a systemic issue that you have to deal with, um, and it takes more than posting an apology on Twitter. And, and I think that is what our institutions are having to deal with, is that you have to do both. Mm -hmm. um, and, and especially when it comes to um, I issues of racism, we have to confront them immediately. But well, the problem not just racism. We got sexism. We got ableism. We true. got a lot of isms. It's true. You you brought me on to talk about racism, and so no, that's who said that I brought you on to talk about that. Oh, <laughs> I didn't say that. Well, that's what yeah, that's what my paper. Um, that that is where my headspace has been. Okay. Um, but yes, this is all intersectional, and right. um, and everything sort of reflects on other forms of marginalization and and oppression. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it is it is a, a very large conversation. And why does it matter to you? Yeah, uh, because I think I I am if it's that it's that thing about if I if if you are not uh, sort of mm -hmm. this is edited, right? Yes, it will be edited. So Alan nice. over there is going to edit it. That's so nice. Um, <laughs> um, it matters to me in the way that um, um, a rising tide sort of lifts all boats. Mm. That if um, if if you, um, I am in a privileged position and and I am aware that we are having the, the people, white people who are working at arts institutions are not. Um, it is my. <laughs> I'm in a privileged position too, so I'm gonna tell you, I am a person of great privilege. Yeah, no, I, and and I think when I'm seeing other decision makers within arts institutions who are who appear to be ill-equipped to really move towards inclusion in uh, in a way that um, engenders meaningful change, I think that. Um, that is where I feel like I have the purview to step in and say, I think I know, I think I see a gap and I think it's time to address this 
particular gap. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Do you get the opportunity in your job to have these conversations? Yeah. I mean... It it comes it comes in small ways because again I well I think racism looks very differently to many people I think I think when white people try to opt themselves out of it um, what it is and Robin D'Angelo speaks about this in her book White Fragility and in her her work at large um, but she she talks about how white people sort of uh, maneuver around what it what it means to um, act in a racist way because it, it means that you have um, ill intent. You meant um, to uh, you meant to perform an act of racism um, willfully to hurt someone. Mm. And no one knows what that looks like in their life. And especially they don't know how to identify that with themselves. And so people get um, really uncomfortable when you, when you name uh, a racist behavior that they might have performed in. Well, I think that when I was reading your article, the way you describe that white people don't like to be viewed in a racialized way, it sort of spoke to me because I remember I was uh, at work on a TV show and um, this show just had a habit of going long. Um, just taking a very long time to do things. And I asked one of the PAs or, you know, I said, when do you think I'm going to be called? They said, um, it'll probably be about 30 minutes. I was like, yeah, okay, after lunch. And I went to my room and did what I always do, which is get dressed so that whenever they call me, I'm ready. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I do. But in my mind, I'm like, I got four hours. <laughs> and then um, a stage manager or what are you, assistant director yeah. came to my room and said, um, I can't even remember the actual word they used, but they said, I heard that you were, um, oh God, you were giving so-and-so a hard time or you were, um, you know, attacking so-and-so because they told you your call was this time and you didn't want to be ready at this time. And whatever the word was that they used, I said, hold up. Mm. I said, first of all, I asked a question for you to characterize it as me attacking them for asking a question, I said, that's 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 kind of, mm-hmm. you know, attacking me as a black woman. And I said, it's, it's, it's inappropriate. It's an inappropriate way to characterize my asking question. And this person was like, how, how dare you? You accuse me of being racist and I'm not going to have this conversation with you. And they closed the door and they went away. Yeah. And um, interestingly, on that day, the lead, the star of that show happened to be reading, I think, Robin D'Angelo, White Fragility. And I was able to recount what had just happened to me. And she was like, oh, that's white fragility. And I thought, good thing that they said that because what I was certain of is that that stage manager was going to go and say that I had attacked them and that that was going to reflect on me at some point. And maybe because I had a conversation with a star executive producer, it might've been mitigated. 
But yeah, I totally get the inability for um, for myself to even explain to someone in a corrective way that no, you don't. You, that's not appropriate for you to talk to me that way. It's true, and I, I, blind spots are a real thing, and we don't we don't know what we don't know. But the trouble is, frankly, we don't want to know what we don't know, and and unfortunately. I think um, we white people leave it to people of color to tell them when um, to educate to educate and and that's I that's also what I'm seeing within our institutions and the people that I'm talking to who also work for arts organizations they there is this um, uh, increasing demand to uh, to move the needle. Uh, and to practice what we preach about diversity, equity, and inclusion, to, but no one know inside the organizations they 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 don't know what that means actually. Other than oh, I guess we got to cast more black people. Okay, well you know like let's move some names around so that they can be the top of our list. You know, um, but but what about staffing more black people? It's well, it's true, and and I write a little bit about this. Um, it's it, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not that simple because we we also refuse to take a look at our the culture that we create. You know, I think it's it's very easy to when in the hiring process to say, oh, I just don't think this person is a culture fit. And what they really mean is that we have a predominantly white culture, and that I don't I don't foresee this person integrating into into that culture well. And so it's an easy way for people to not get hired at all. Or if they do get hired, then th- watch them leave in a year because they they don't feel like they're they're heard in every room or you know that their voice matters on an equal playing field and that um, yeah but i think that culture issue comes up can be not even just uh whiteness or i mean culture fit for me like shadowing as a director in television that's such a male white male dominated yeah. thing so i had to learn to fit into that culture to even be on the sets or even as a union uh, elected union person there was a culture to that that i definitely didn't fit in and didn't want to fit in and yeah. you know resigned my position because cultures, especially ones that have been around for a long time, can get very stuck in how we do things and how we're comfortable and not wanting to disrupt our comfort. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear you talk more about what it means to to find yourself now, uh, now in the position to be creating art mm-hmm. um, and, and what your experience has been sort of establishing new cultures for the project that you're that you may be working on or would you even characterize it that yeah, way yeah, yeah. well i think what i would say is that um my career was made possible first by Hal Prince and Steve Sondheim giving me my first Broadway show at 19. Mm. So that walked me into the doors of New York in a way that very few people get to do. Yeah. Um, and then I got to be on a soap opera. So I was kind of, I would say I was a chocolate dipped bar- Barbie doll. You know, I, I, you know, walked the talk ride. I had the right kind of talk and I was articulate and, you know, black people would have said I talked white. So I was someone who was both talented and white people felt comfortable having me in their private spaces. Um, but my opportunities to really shine and, and have some grit as an artist came from George C. Wolf and Sheldon Epps, who allowed me to be more than just a chocolate dipped Barbie doll. Mm. 
And once you get to express all of that as an artist, it's really, for me, it's not even interesting to go back to wearing the mask and playing this thing that might get you a lot of job opportunities, but just isn't as artistically challenging and fulfilling. So (laughs) one of my artist friends, I'm not going to out them, says that, you know, the business doesn't want your genius. They want you to put your genius on their stupidity. And so um, I think a lot of times the people who are the geniuses don't get in the room. Mm -hmm. They don't get to be on either side of the table because um, genius doesn't fit into the box and genius is going to transform the box. And so it takes a genius like a Sheldon Epps or George C. Wolf to invite that into the room because they're not at all intimidated by the challenge. I was thinking about as I walked over here, what is intimidating me? And I think a lot of my life, I felt ashamed that I was intimidating people and I realized intimidating is actually not something a person does. It's something the person receives. They are choosing to experience this person instead of as inspiring or encouraging or guiding as something that is somehow diminishing me. And it's part of our blame culture yeah. where we can blame you rather than looking at ourselves and saying, well, what's wrong with me? And I think that's that thing of the culture not fitting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would have to adjust all of the ways I'm comfortable for you. I'd have to change my culture in order for you to fit into our organization. Right. And that's right. And that is the, the moments of fragility that happen. You get blamed and, and, and suddenly you think about that experience and you're like, Oh, I must have, I, I, my truth isn't coming across in the way that um, other people need to receive it. So how do I sort of retrofit that? Well, for me, I think a lot of my life was trying to be to be less, trying to be mm. something else. I remember I worked at uh, the new group, mm. and they had been around for about twenty two years then, and they had never had a, a person who was not a, who was of color in their staff. Wow. Ever. And when I went there to do Rashida speaking, um, the, the process of making that play was so toxic that I myself coordinated a whole series of talkbacks and, and brought in the panelists, Kimberly Crenshaw and Michael Eric Dyson and James Patterson and Terry Williams. And I created this whole thing that audiences stayed for and wanted to have conversations. And to this day, people come up to me and said they had conversations across the color line that there's just no place to have them in our world. We we live in segregated communities. We, we can't have these conversations at work because we have work to do. But we had created this space in the theater where people could ask questions from people they're not going to run into. Yeah. And it was very powerful and very healing. And thereafter, I guess somebody must have said, there's money in this. And uh, money was given to that organization to hire some people of color. Mm. And they hired a couple. And I remember uh, I was meeting with some of them and they were complaining about these people of color. And, you know, they're doing this and they're doing that. And I was sitting and I was listening. I was like, hold up. Yeah. You all have been running this thing for 22 years, and it's very casual for you. You 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 rest, and you know maybe you'll pick up a phone, and you'll call your friend, and you'll get around to it. When we go to work as black people or Asian people, we have to work hard. Yeah. So what you're perceiving as us bugging you because we want answers and we want to get things done is the only way we get to work. We have to work hard. We have to show that we did something every day. We have to prove ourselves yeah. every moment. And so that's pressure and annoying to you when we don't get an opportunity at all if we aren't coming and firing on all guns. Yeah. 
and it, because it's disrupting the stasis. Yes. It is disrupting the comfortability. Um, I, a, another piece, so the, this, the, this essay that I wrote came together for me when I thought about, um, four separate books in, uh, in the same context. And, um, uh, Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility was one of them. Mm-hmm, I wrote um, that. Ibram X. Kennedy, uh, X. Kennedy's How to Be an Anti-Racist was one of them. Haven't read that. Um, Brene Brown's uh, Daring, uh, it's part of her Daring Greatly series. It's called um, Dare to Lead mm-hmm. was one of those. And it, it and that, w- my my husband and I, we are a, we are a Brene Brown household. Um, <laughs> we, we have all of the, her entire body of work. Um, but this is sort of taking her, um, her shame and vulnerability research and, and situating it in the workplace. Tell us what her shame and vulnerability research is. Cause I don't know what that is. Yeah. So it started with, um, she, she recorded a, she had a, she was on a Ted talk. Um, I think I saw that, but tell us the power of vulnerability and, and, her work is about w- accepting that shame is a part of our lives and and vulnerability is sort of the uh our it is it is a very human thing and we we try to protect ourselves from being vulnerable and feeling shame and we we create um a, a an identity around those things instead of moving towards those things in order to actually have human connection mm-hmm. and so and so she is. She's written this book called um, "Dare to Lead," which is about w- what it means to um, to actually be be vulnerable at work. Um, because you know we want to be professional, and we always want to um, to know the answers and be authoritative. And and especially if you're you're in any position of leadership, it is about um, m- making sure that you are always moving the the collective work forward. And um, rarely then do we ever grant space to say I don't know or um, or I would love to continue exploring this thing because you know we 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 want to say I I know because we ha- we are in that position because of our um, professional experience and and you know I think th- what was so profound to me about this book was that w- coming back to your point about your experience at the new group is that you know I, there has to be this ability to say wow i think you are you are bringing something new to the table that i don't yet have language for let me let me see how we can um collaborate as opposed to you know because again it's i think it's easy to lean on institutional precedent to say well this is what we've always done and therefore that is that is the the way we will proceed um but it's 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 vulnerable to say I don't know or like why don't we take a look and try to do something in a different way. It's also vulnerable to sit with being uncomfortable, mm. to have someone come into your space and make you very uncomfortable, and instead of moving to fix your discomfort by removing the person, to to sit with just being uncomfortable and not knowing and live with that for a while until it actually moves something in you. I believe that discomfort actually has a very healing power. It can move things inside of a person. Yeah, it's true. That was part one of my conversation with Donnie Repshar, who wrote Woke Supremacy for HowlRound. Come back for part two. Hey, 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.